is everybody doing this week? I hope you're having a fantastic week and you're about to have a great, very productive weekend, right? Because we're all using our positive mindsets these days and we're all trying to program ourselves to become more energetic, more motivated, more determined to do great things in our sync licensing careers. At least that's my hope for all of you guys, especially those of you that have been watching and following along with our Sync Psych 101 tutorials inside Sync Academy. Again, keep that feedback coming. I'm loving hearing every bit of it. Every email, every comment, every little word that you guys can give me about how these tutorials have really been making a difference in your lives, I'd like to know about it. And of course, I would love to hear, I've already gotten some great uh, suggestions, but I'd like to get more suggestions on some, uh, some topics for tutorials that we could add to the list in the future because this is going to be an ever-growing list of content and tutorials that we're going to add to that section of Sync Academy. So please keep that all coming. This week for the podcast, what I'd like to do is talk about some points of pushback that I've received from many students and many people that have just discovered Sync Licensing, just discovered my channel, whatever it happens to be. And they usually come to me um, in the form of a question that starts with the words, do I really have to, right? And what I'm going to do in this podcast episode is go through the five most common versions of this question. And the reason why I want to do this is because I think a lot of people, when they're getting started with sync licensing, they just first get excited about it, right? Just the energy, the enthusiasm. Um, you know, maybe they had too much caffeine when they were watching the video about it. Whatever it is, they feel just really, really happy about getting started with sync licensing. And when they start to dig in just a little bit more than the overall topic, the concept of getting your tracks placed on TV shows, movies, and commercials, earning the passive income, doing this full-time, right? All the sort of um, surface-level things that you understand. But once you dive a little deeper, you start to really realize that it's not easy and that this is actually going to be work and this is actually going to take some time. And so when I get these questions from students, I'm always wondering, where in my videos did you not pick up on this kind of stuff? Because this is the stuff that I feel like I harp on all the time. But if I keep getting questions like this, it means that I don't harp on it enough, right? There's obviously a few people that are still following through, falling through the cracks or um, just not being exposed to the fact that there is some real work that is required in this business and there's some real time that is required to devote if you want to take this seriously and you actually want to be one of the few, probably one of the only producers that you know personally that gets to do this full time. So I want to be very honest and transparent about that in this week's video or podcast rather. Sorry, I'm still so used to the YouTube world that I'm still, you know, I'm almost a year into this podcast uh, thing and I'm still talking about this as if this is a YouTube video. My apologies. So the first version of this, do I really have to is, do I really have to complete a full album, like 10 or 12 tracks, before I submit to a music library? Now I know the thought of composing 10, 12 tracks before even putting an email together to a company, it seems very daunting. I mean, that's a lot of work. That can take a couple of months, maybe even half of a year, depending on how slow or fast you are with your production process. So I know that even just hearing that kind of gets people turned off to sync licensing, just knowing that to become a serious, very competitive contender early on in your career, you're gonna wanna have a full album that you pitch to a library. Um, and if you're not aware, 
the answer is yes. I do recommend that before you submit to a, a library, you do have a full album together. Here's the reason, if you're not aware. Uh, libraries usually release their albums, um, their music rather, on their website to their clients in bulk, right? So they don't usually just go, hey guys, here's our one new rock album, a rock track, or here's our three newest hip hop tracks, enjoy. They usually come to the table with maybe 10, maybe 20, sometimes even like a 40 or 50 track compilation of, of songs that are in one given genre or one given mood or follow some sort of a theme that can be applicable for their clients, okay? So when you're coming to a library, compare yourself to, let's say right now you have three tracks and you're going to a library and compare yourself to the next composer over who has 12 tracks and it's a full album and it's all cohesive in terms of one genre that it's all tied together. So you submit to the library and you say, here's my three tracks. Do you think you could take me on? Do you think you could work with me? And then the library composer next to you says, hey, here's my 12 tracks. Do you think you could work with me? Would you like to bring me on board? Well, the library sees those two submissions, right? And one of those submissions they can immediately take, they can slap their packaging on it, they can put some album artwork on it, usually libraries do that, and then they can immediately put it up on their website like within a couple of days. And they can go email all their clients and say, we just got this brand new, awesome, high quality licensable track, uh, album rather, and here's the 12 tracks, or we're gonna add these 12 tracks to this previous compilation that you guys have all been using and loving. Here you go, all ready to go. Versus your submission where they basically say, okay, I, even if they really like your three tracks, they're gonna say, I like those three tracks, um, we're gonna need more. Can you go ahead and start giving us more and, and move forward with that? Now, I'm not saying libraries won't say yes to you and won't wanna work with you, but that means for them that they have to wait, right? That means that the album is not ready and that they're probably not gonna just release three tracks. They're gonna wanna wait until you have the full 10 or maybe the full 12 or whatever their requirements are, right? So for them, if they take you on board, they're saying yes to you now, but they're not gonna get the product for maybe a month or two or maybe even longer. Whereas the other producer, they get the product today and they can immediately upload it and start distributing it, okay? So that's why having the full album makes you much more competitive and much more attractive to a library. And it also shows on your part that you're really taking this stuff seriously. So that's why I've always recommended, well, actually I'd say I always, in the last two years, I've been starting to recommend this uh, to have a full album. A few years ago, I was telling people maybe a couple of, you know, three to five tracks should get you in the door. But I believe now because there's so many new, you know, the, the, the number of producers going out to libraries has increased so much that we need to step up our requirements to become more competitive, right? So that's why I'm saying this is a sort of new normal that you should have that full album ready to go. And the answer is yes, as I said before, you really do have to do that, I believe, um, to really have a great career in this industry. So and one one producer was asking me that, do I really have to go for this full album? I have got three that are ready to go. And my question to her was, okay, if you don't wanna do it now, what do you think is gonna happen the minute you get accepted by a library? They're gonna tell you to go finish it up. So I understand, you know, if you have that library in your pocket, you feel a little bit more motivated and you're like, well, once I get the contract, then I'll go on to create music. But my pushback on that is, if it sounds like maybe you're not enjoying making music, right? Because if you're enjoying the process, the craft of producing tracks, mixing and mastering them, 
then the idea of creating 10 of them would be fun. I mean, sure, it'd be a challenge, but it'd be like, you know, doing a puzzle that you really enjoyed. It would be something that you would look forward to. You'd find a way to kind of get yourself motivated and excited about it. Um, so where's this, why are we not wanting to go the full distance before we even get into the licensing business, right? We should be excited and happy and, and having fun uh, making music. And that's really the overall arch of all of these, like, do I really have to statements is the ultimate uh, solution to all of them is if you're having fun creating crafting music then all of this stuff starts to just fall into place right so that's why I've, I've been you know repeating that many times that you have to have fun while you're doing this if you're not having fun creating and crafting music and enjoying it and I don't mean like fun in terms of it's always easy but I mean fun in terms of you just enjoy the challenge of it you enjoy growing with it you enjoy learning you enjoy um, uh, putting together new tracks all that good stuff you know getting to know a new sampler a new plug-in new sounds whatever it is if you're not like having fun in all this stuff like you're not having fun with the hustle it only gets worse from here. So if you're struggling with that now before you've even completed your album and you're trying to find shortcuts already because you're just not wanting to make music, second guess whether or not licensing is gonna be a good fit for you and also maybe go back to the drawing board and try to rediscover how do you fall back in love with creating music? And it takes time because I've fallen out of love of making music a few times actually in my career. I have a love-hate thing with music. So sometimes when I'm feeling that burned out, like I don't really wanna make music, I sometimes do need to step back, get myself re-energized, um, maybe go watch a bunch of other people making music, maybe get away from music for a couple of days or weeks and just completely clear my head and just kind of like miss it for a little while and then realize, oh yes, I do, I do love that thing called making music and I want to come back. So just really, really important stuff to be aware of, okay? Now, the next one is, do I really have to sign over my publishing to a library? So I've made a few videos about this topic on my YouTube channel, so check those out if you need to get further instruction on that. Bottom line is, bottom line is yes, you will need to uh, sign over more than likely a good chunk, if not all, of your publishing to a music library. And I know some producers hear that and they're like, okay, that's enough. I don't need to hear anymore. I'm done. I will never sign over my publishing to anybody. No, thank you. And I wish you all the best and more power to you if that's not what works for you. My argument for why I've been comfortable personally signing over my publishing is because I had no personal plans to do anything with my publishing, right? So I wanted to, you know, write for major artists. I wanted to, I had a band obviously, and we wanted to get a record deal. Um, so I had some other bigger plans, but once I found out about sync licensing and I found out that you could basically just directly submit your music to companies and have it serve a need and then get placed and get those payments and stuff, I thought, well, you know, for these tracks that I'm putting together for the libraries, I would rather them be enabled to earn money off of my publishing so that they can basically pitch my music while I'm asleep or while I'm making other music. And that's really what's happened is you're essentially getting people to uh, hustle for you and do your sales for you and try to pitch your music for you because there's an incentive for them to do that in the form of the library owns a piece or maybe all of the publishing. So in the, in a in a typical organization, um, uh, contract agreement with a library, usually things are going to be split down the middle 50-50. So you're going to keep your writer share, they're going to keep the publisher share, and then usually you're going to split the uh, sync fee. Um, and then sometimes with exclusive libraries, they'll even offer you the consideration fee up front when they accept your music into their catalog. So with that kind of an arrangement, you guys are basically 50-50 partners on your music. So a lot of people think, well, I don't want to take a 50% cut. No, screw that. I'm going to take all of my stuff. Okay. If you have another place to go get your music monetized or you have other plans or whatever it is, then definitely 
yeah, don't sign over your publishing to a library because you should follow your gut and whatever your plan, your original business strategy was. For many producers, I know this for a fact, there is no plan. There is a hope, there's a wish, there's a dream. There's like, well, maybe my track will go viral and maybe, you know, some big artist will want to come sing on my track. And, you know, there's a lot of hoping and wishing and kind of like dreaming that things will happen with your music. But there's really no plan. There's really no like, no, I'm going to go distribute my music this way and I'm going to market it that way. And, you know, having sort of like strategic uh, markers in place for how they're going to do stuff with their music. If you fall in that category where there's not really much of a solid plan, then what do you got to lose, right? By signing over your publishing to a music library, at least you're giving a very valuable asset to somebody that can do something with your music and actually get it placed and actually create potentially full-time income for you. So if you got a better thing to do with your publishing, then do it. But if you don't, what are you holding on to that for, right? You can hold on to 100% of um, of a grape or you can take... 50% of a watermelon. And that's what I think I've done by signing over my publishing to all the libraries I've worked with is I've taken 50% of a watermelon rather than holding onto my tiny little 100% grape because that's what I would have had because I had no other plans of what to do with my music. Uh, Next is going to be, this is a great, great one. Do I really have to create three to five tracks every single week? And a lot of you guys are maybe even like shocked that I recommend that. Uh, yes, I do think that getting to that three to five tracks per week should be your minimum, actually, where you're getting to. Now, you might be thinking like, you know, if it takes you two weeks or a month to get one song done, you're looking at three to five tracks a week and thinking that's impossible. Well, first of all, it's not. I've seen so many of my students start with a once a month kind of a uh, schedule for their producing speed. And they worked it up to two a month and then four a month and then eight a month. And they slowly worked their way up to the point where they're getting to around that three to five tracks per week. So if that sounds impossible to you, I encourage you to learn how to not make it impossible by um, joining us in Sync Academy. Because that's one of the biggest things that we provide through those tutorials is a lot of the shortcuts for how to create sessions within your DAW so that you can immediately get to creating music without getting lost in finding samples or getting the right plugin to work or you know just getting lost in all the technical details that we can sometimes get lost in. There's definitely some strategies. We include these also with the Sync Psych 101 series and how to ensure that you're staying productive and getting the most amount of value out of the time, the limited time that I know you guys have in your studio. So a lot of you guys, you got two hours, that's it, you know, in the morning, and that's all you can really devote to it. Well, with these tutorials and these strategies and suggestions, you can really crank out a lot of high quality stuff in just those two hours. There's a lot of work that you can be done, but a lot of it comes down to preparing yourself before. And it's like doing your homework before you show up for class. That's what a lot of this stuff is. You don't want to just show up and then, well, let's see what comes out of my brain. You want to kind of be mentally and physically preparing yourself for creative mode so that when you do enter your home studio, you make the most out of those very precious hours that you have. So answer is yes, three to five tracks per week if you want this to become a serious source of income for yourself. There is a numbers game aspect to this industry. It's not just about creating a hit 12 album track, uh, a 12 track album in a year and hoping that that's going to be your best hits and it's going to carry you through to full-time income. You do need to release. I think you should shoot for about one album per month. So whatever libraries you're working with, that means a minimum 10 tracks uh, per month, maybe 12. 
um, that you should be getting out into the system, out into your library partners that are obviously a good fit for you and they're legitimate companies. So as long as you're doing that, you're on track to really do well, okay? Which basically brings us to our last point. Um, I know I said five, but actually, I think enjoying making music was one of those, but really, like I said, if you enjoy making music, you're gonna love making three to five tracks per week. Um, so, you know, we don't need to obviously repeat that. But the last one I really wanna focus on is do I really have to wait a few years to start seeing significant income in the form of those performance royalties, those BMI and ASCAP royalties? And yes, the answer for most producers, unfortunately, is yes, you are going to have to wait a couple of years before you see those royalties kick in. If you're not aware, it does take between nine and 12 months for your royalties to actually get to you after the air date of your track being placed, okay? So that means that you get accepted by a library today. It might take your library six months to finally start getting some placements for you. So that means you got to wait another nine to 12 months after that six months. So we're talking like a year and a half before even the first little trickle of royalties start to hit your bank account. That's a real bummer for a lot of people because that requires a lot of patience and that requires um, preferring uh, the benefits to come later down the road as opposed to trying to get all those benefits now and trying to get a paycheck right now. So that's a really hard thing for a lot of producers to have to deal with. And it obviously is one of the reasons why so many make it to about six months or a year and then they bail because they didn't see the income yet. So I, again, want to make sure that you guys are all very clear that it's about a two to five year run before you start to see the royalties that are gonna to start to start to you know pay off a significant chunk of your um, your bills or whatever you have you know with your monthly bills. So it can take a while. Now that's not everybody's journey, so I don't want to limit anybody's belief in what they can do because like I said, I've had producers and students who within two months started getting $20,000 sync fees and getting national commercials and getting the royalties obviously get generated within a couple of months. Um, I mean, they didn't get the royalties, but at least they started that process, that nine to 12 month period within a couple of months of getting started. So that can obviously happen. So I want you to shoot for the stars, obviously. And even if you get to the moon, not that bad. But I don't want you to think that that's normal or common. That's certainly not what I've seen. It wasn't common for me. It took me a long time, uh, definitely about like two and a half to three years before I started seeing the royalties trickle into the point where they felt like they were actually meaningful and I could actually start to count on them to pay on some bills, to pay me some bills. Because in the beginning, if you guys are not aware, my first royalty check uh, was 14 cents. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, that was after working a, at least a year, maybe a year and a half. Um, and I got my first little tiny royalty check. And sure, it was great to just get a royalty statement. Actually, I don't even think they paid me. I think they just gave me the statement because I think they have a minimum payout of like $100 before they will actually cut you the check. So I got this 14 cent statement. And that's like, that was, I just felt like a huge slap in the face on one hand, but it also felt like a validation that whatever I was doing actually worked. Like whatever I did got me into this place where my tracks were on a television show. It was on a Lifetime TV show. So, you know, it's like this duality of licensing, which you'll, it'll follow you the entire, your entire career. You're always going to feel that like, yeah, I love it. And I feel like it's slapping me in the face and beating me up. And it's doing both of those at the same time. Like it, you definitely will fall in love with it, but you'll definitely start to hate it <laughs> at certain parts, at, at certain points as well. But in the long run, what you start to notice is that having that patience, believing in yourself, doubling down, um, and really just diving into your, your craft and your skill and becoming, um, you know, a very valuable, useful, uh, serviceable uh, person, right? Somebody who's going to be valuable for the libraries you partner with. You start to carry these aspects and these qualities and really these kind of like character traits 
into the rest of your life and into future business endeavors and into your relationships and to everything else. And you just become better at a lot of things. So a lot of these skills that you gain by, you know, just being patient by waiting a couple of years to get that income, it really serves you well into the future. Because then if you want to start a new company later on, you want to create maybe your own music library and you know now, hey, you know, this is going to be a two to five year plan before we start seeing some money. You now have that skill built in. How many people do you know are willing to work at something for two years before they see any income. I bet you couldn't find many. I bet that very, very few people. So if this is one of these skills that you really can hone in on and actually accomplish and really um, um, build sort of like a faith in yourself that it can be done, imagine how powerful you'll be in the future with whatever you want to do, right? This is also, you know, encouraging for just personal relationships when there's a struggle in a relationship, when there's times where you just feel like, I mean, I'm not getting much out of this relationship. I don't know if this wants to, if we should move on with this kind of thing. But you've seen that like sometimes sticking with something longer than the short term sort of feeling can result in, in positive uh, benefits. That's what I mean. These kind of skills are going to bleed into all different aspects of your life. And that's why that's what I didn't see when I first got started in sync licensing. I thought it was just make music, get paid. That's it. But it's been like a complete just like holistic transformation and evolution of my entire just outlook on life being in this business. So that's why I would never trade anything any time that I've ever had in this industry. It's just such an awesome thing to be a part of. So that's it, guys. That's what I got for you guys this week. So answer pretty much to all four of those is, do I really have to complete a full album before pitching? Yes. Do I really have to sign over my publishing to a library? More than likely, yes. Do I really have to create three to five tracks every single week? Yes. And you should be shooting for slowly incrementing yourself to get to that point. And finally, do I really have to wait a few years to see significant income from my music? And the answer, yes. So with that being said, I hope you guys take that as a wake-up call, as maybe a little bit of a red pill if you're not aware of what it really takes to succeed. And I hope that this kind of just, you know, gets people a little bit more aligned with the reality of what they're really getting involved with because it's doable, it's possible, you can get there, but none of this is easy. This all takes work, this all takes patience. And so that's a little bit of why I want to be here with you guys, with the podcast, with my YouTube channel, with Sync Academy, with all this stuff, right? And so we can, I can encourage you guys along the way and you guys can encourage each other and encourage me because that's certainly what I needed many times in my career because it's such an isolating experience. So I hope you guys are having a fantastic week and you go into this weekend with so much more productivity and motivation than you had before this podcast episode. At least that is my hope. So we'll catch you guys in just one week. Thank you for listening to the Sync My Music podcast. If you enjoyed the show and want me to do more episodes, all that I ask is that you leave me a review on whatever platform or app that you're listening to. It just takes a few seconds. I'll never charge for this podcast and I want to keep it 100% ad free. And your review right now will help me do just that. Thank you so much.